are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'd like you to turn to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, and I want to read from chapter 16 and down into chapter 17. I've often jokingly said I like to read lots of scripture before I preach so I can get up nerve enough to start preaching. And so we'll see what happens tonight. Let's see in chapter 16 of the gospel of John, let's begin reading with verse 16. And a, a little while and you shall not see me. Again, and a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then sent some of his disciples among themselves. What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he said. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that, day, at that day you shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because you've loved me, and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I'm coming to the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, 
every man to his own. And she'll leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. I would like for you to notice verse 1 of chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And if I had a title to my message tonight, I would like to speak to you on what I, I call the last words of Jesus Christ. We all know that on the cross Jesus spoke. He spoke while he was dying for the sins of the world. Seven times he opened his mouth while hanging upon the tree. And he spoke 58 words in the English translation of the Bible. But here are 91 verses in the Bible called the Paschal Discourse. These words of Jesus were spoken the night before he died on the cross of Calvary. Jesus had been with the disciples in the upper room. Everything had come to pass as the Bible said it would. Judas had betrayed him. He had met with his own. He left that upper room and while walking to the bloody garden of Gethsemane, Jesus spoke what is 91 verses in the Bible in the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of the book of John. It is called the Paschal Discourse. There's the discourse of the Passover. There's nothing like this ever been spoken in all the history of the world. There's everything here that a Christian's heart longs for and believes in and needs. Everything about Jesus we read in these uh, three chapters, these 91 verses. We read of his pre-existence, his deity, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. We read of his ascension, his leaving, his going away, his promise to come again. We read about salvation and security and service. There's everything in this great sermon Jesus preached as he went from the upper room down to the garden of Gethsemane. And in this, in this sermon, Jesus three times said, Now I'm saying these things unto you for a reason. He gave the objective of his sermon. He said, These things have I spoken unto you three times in this discourse. He said, for instance, in John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. He spoke these words in this sermon that believers, in spite of all that would happen, might have the fullness of joy. You know, there's nothing like a Christian being a joyful Christian. We need some happy Christians, some joyful Christians. Oh, I know about the trials. I know about the deep valleys and the deep waters and the hot fires. I know all that. But I still know that Jesus bequeathed to the child of God the fullness of joy. Before he ever left this world, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have 
the fullness of joy. You know, Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Who admires, who wants to be like a Christian that does not demonstrate the joy of the Lord? Why, I think many Christians have lost their joy. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, I think of the Apostle Paul when he, they said to him, you're going to Jerusalem, you will be bound, you'll go in bonds and chains. But Paul said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have been given uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, joy is something God wants every Christian to have. I've often mentioned I kind of wish sometimes I'd not been named Thomas. My sweet mother gave me that name. Jill Thomas, one of those Christians, never demonstrated much joy. He was always hanging a funeral wreath on every doorknob. He's always saying, well, it won't happen to us. And it won't happen here. And we'll not be able to do it. He was that kind of a Christian. When they said, we're going to Bethany, Thomas said, let's go and die with, with the rest of them. Let's go and die like Lazarus going to die. No one said anything about disciples dying. But Thomas had that morbid spirit. He was, he was a Christian without joy. Why, when they said to him, why, Jesus arose from the dead. And he appeared to us, and we saw him, and we listened to him. Thomas said, well, I'm not going to believe that unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I put my hand in the palm of his hand and feel his scars. He was a Christian without joy. You know, the saddest thing that can happen to a child of God is to lose, to lose the joy of the Lord. I, you say, well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I, I don't know, maybe. But I do know what the Lord said could happen to the child of God. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have joy. I've, had them, I've been at the same church now 49 years this month. And I've seen a few of those kind of people. Every time you see them, there's something hurting somewhere. It's either an elbow or a backbone or something. And never anything is just all right. I believe a Christian ought to be happy in the Lord. That's what God wants us to be. I was riding with an old boy. I didn't know him too awful well some years ago. And we was riding along. And he started doing this. And I didn't know what was happening to him. But I said to him, oh, what are you doing? He said, I'm waving at Jesus. He said, Brother Tom, have you ever waved at Jesus? I said, I don't believe I ever have. He said, why don't you try it? We were riding along in the car. I said, well, I'll, I will, I guess. So I started waving at Jesus, and uh, really it got feeling pretty good, you know. And uh, folks were looking at us like there's two nuts, I'm sure, in that car. But I'm glad to see people who are happy in the Lord. Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. David prayed, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David lost it. That's what happened, has happened to many of God's people tonight. They've lost the joy. They've lost the thrill. They've lost 
the wonderful excitement of being a child of God. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that your joy might be full. I like to see a happy Christian. I like to see a Christian that has the joy of the Lord. Jesus, uh, Jesus said the second time, these things have I spoken unto you that you might have the fullness of confidence, so to speak. He said, all things I've spoken to you that you should not be offended. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm told the Greek word means that you should not be scandalized. Some things are going to happen. You're going to be hated. You're going to be scattered. I'm going to be crucified. But I've spoken unto these things that you should not be offended. That is, that you should not fall away. That you should not stumble. That you should not quit. That you should have the fullness of confidence. That you should keep going. Peter didn't get that message because Peter became ashamed and unbelievably denied the Lord because he failed to get the reason Jesus was telling these things in these three wonderful chapters. He said the third time, these things have I spoken unto you in chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. There's something I believe the devil and the world wants to do to every Christian, and that's to disturb your peace and take it away from you and to rile you so that you have not the peace of God in your heart. I came across a wonderful verse in the 119th Psalm many years ago. 119th Psalm, 165th verse says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them, shall make them stumble. Great peace has the child of God who loves and lives in this book. And Jesus said, I'm speaking these things that you might have peace. Paul said, uh, don't be worried about, about things, but uh, give, give to God in prayer, thanksgiving, and supplication, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace I believe God wants us to have. I think every, every child of God Every day of his life faces a challenge of the devil to take away your peace. Uh, a few days ago, I had some great needs. Now, I'm not trying to play on your sympathy, and I'm not trying to impress you because I got everything, everything in the world I need. You know, I settled that uh, when I was in my first church, just married, when my wife and I knelt on our knees and promised to obey God in the matter of honoring God with our substance, everything was settled when that was settled. But a few days ago, I had some needs. And I began to fret within and worry. They were unusual and at a crucial time. And I began to fret within. And all of a sudden, I realized this is not the way a Christian ought to be. I have a heavenly Father 
who says not a sparrow falleth to the ground. But what I know about it, why should I fret and worry in a time like this? So I said to my wife, and, uh, and kind of pitifully like, I said, we will go to the bank and deposit our money and then pay our, for these things that we are obligated about. And I didn't have enough money. I started to the bank and, and I had to make one stop on the way for some other reason altogether. And I picked up an envelope with my name on it and there was the very amount of money that I needed. So I went into the bank and I said to the lady, do you mind if I change this deposit slip and just mess it all up? She said, no, uh, Dr. Malone, you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do to it. I said, I want to add something to it that the Lord gave me while I was on my way to the bank. And I said to myself, wouldn't it have been wonderful if I hadn't got stirred up within and lost my peace before this wonderful experience took place? These things have I spoken unto you that you might have the fullness of peace. But I want to emphasize some things in this great sermon that Jesus preached. I believe there are five great truths that ought to dominate us tonight. I mean, ought to fashion our lives, ought to be our motivation, ought to limit us in what we can do, ought to tell us what we can do. Five great truths that ought to dominate our life. Before Jesus left, he spoke of the certainty of his return. He said, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You know, I believe tonight in the coming of the Lord. Not only the coming of the Lord, but the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial coming of the Lord. I'm not one of these who believe God is trying to build a better world. I think I know tonight as a Christian what God is doing. God is choosing out of the world a people for his name to be called his bride. And when that glorious, wonderful body is completed, the trumpet shall sound and the angel, the archangel shall shout and the Lord himself is coming back to this earth again. No, I'm not trying to build a better world. I'm trying to get somebody saved. And hoping that someday I'll get the one saved that'll finish the body of Christ. And the Lord shall come and receive the church unto himself. No, God's not building a better world. And I feel, I feel sorry for the people that that's all they know about the work of God. Is to make the world better because that is a, that's a failing objective. We'll never accomplish that. We'll never build a better world. It's kind of like the woman whose little boy got out in the street and got tar all over him. Brother, they'd put new asphalt. She brought him in and put him in the tub and was trying to clean him up. And she said, well, I declare to my soul, I believe I could build, I could make a boy quicker than I could clean this one up. And I want to tell you, we're not going to clean up the world. Oh, I'd like to. I'd like to close down every booze joint. I'd like to close down every pornography shop. I'd have to close down every 
ungodless movie, godless movie house. If I could, I'd close all the hog pens in the world. But I want to say to you, that's not what God is doing tonight. God is not building a better world. God is preparing a body, a bride, a group of people for the coming of the Lord and the coming of Jesus Christ. The glorious, visible return, bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ is a dominating truth. It is a truth that the Bible teaches us is to change the life of a Christian. You know, the coming of the Lord is an incentive to purity. The Bible says uh, that we're all the children of God. Know not what we shall be, but we, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And notice what it says. Every man that hath this hope in him, not just a doctrine, every man that hath this hope in him, that is the constant, daily, momentarily looking for the Lord to come. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And I get the impression tonight that there are a lot of people in this world who go under the banner of Christianity who are not looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he could come tonight. I believe he could come anytime. I was preaching down in Ohio a few years ago on a Sunday when a man had gotten in the newspapers by saying that was the day that the Lord was coming. Somebody said to me that day, two or three people asked me what I thought about it. I said, my, I hope he's right. I don't think he is because no one can set a date for the coming of the Lord. But I wish he were right. And someone said, well, here you are away from home, and your wife and your family. Wouldn't you kind of hate to see the Lord come and you away from home? I said, if the Lord would come, me and Joyce and the kids would get together quicker than you could bat an eye. I, I wish the Lord would come. You know, for one thing, I, when the Lord comes, we're going to get new bodies. Oh, thank God for that. I'm either going to have to have a new one or a major tune-up for this one. And I'm, I'm hoping the Lord will come soon. It is a doctrine, more than a doctrine. It is a great truth that ought to dominate every child of God. It is an incentive to purity. And I believe if Christians were looking for the coming of the Lord, they would live cleaner lives if they expected Christ to come at any moment. The coming of the Lord, Jesus said, if I go away, I will come again. And he will. He's coming again. The coming of the Lord is an incentive to winning people to Jesus Christ. You know, I'm hearing more in this period of my life and my ministry. I'm hearing more criticism against soul winners than I've ever heard before in all my ministry. I hear people criticize large churches. You know, I've pastored a small church, and I've pastored a larger church. I was never ashamed of the little one and never took great pride in the large one. And some people 
criticize the large church, the people that are winning people to Christ. They say, well, the Catholics have large churches and the Charismatics have large churches. That doesn't make any difference. I want to tell you, the church at Jerusalem, filled with the Holy Ghost, seeking to carry out the will of God and to be obedient to the Lord's command, came a great body of thousands of people. That's biblical. That's the model. Oh, just because we don't have a large church, there's no reason to criticize the people that do have one. I hear people saying, well, they make soul winning the main thing. You better believe it. That's what Jesus made the main thing. And they say when people win lots of folks to Christ, then that preacher becomes the object of uh, uh, hero worship and that sort of thing. And preachers do uh, magnify their ministry and they become known because they win Lots of people to the Lord. Thank God for that. If you're not winning souls, don't knock it because somebody else is. Because the second coming of Christ is an incentive to soul winning. And God holds us responsible for it. I remember many experiences I've had in the nearly half a century I've been in Pontiac, Michigan. I remember a young man came to me one time, great big stalwart, athletic young man reached out and put his hands on my two shoulders like this and he said Tom I have an uncle that's dying and he's not saved and he wept as he said I want my uncle saved will you try to get him saved and he gripped me by my shoulders I said I'll do that he said to the general hospital I'll go today I went that afternoon I think about three o'clock I was not able to win a man to the Lord. I, I wanted to pray with him. He turned his face the other way. I went away saying to myself, I think I've done all I can do. Five o'clock in the afternoon. I said, I must go again. He must not die without hope and without Christ. I went again, went through the same thing. I went again at nine o'clock that night. And I said to this man, Homer, I want you to know about Jesus. And I don't want you to die without God and without hope. Turned his face to the wall, refused to listen. That night at the midnight hour, the trembling voice of his wife on the phone said, My husband died a few minutes ago, and I want you to preach his funeral. One funeral I shall never forget, because that same young man came, and he reached out his hands, and he put, him, put them on my shoulders again, and he said, Tom, as he looked in my eyes, he said, did you do your best to win my uncle to Christ? I thank God I was able to look into him and say, I believe I did all I could do. I wish I could say your uncle was saved and going to heaven. But I went three times. I begged, I pleaded, I prayed, I gave him the gospel. I did all I could do. And I've often thought, Someday I'm going to stand not before a young nephew, but before the blessed Son of God. And God is going to ask me, well, did you do all you could do to get people saved? Well, I don't like people to knock soul winning. I don't like to hear people say, well, I wonder how many of all those people were really saved. I'll tell you how many of them were really saved. 
Every one of them that said, I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I take the Son of God in my heart and life, that's how many of them were saved. And I want to tell you, everybody that followed Jesus didn't mean it. And it's an unjust criticism to talk about soul winners and soul winning churches. It's of the devil. It's an attack of Satan. And it's fooled many a Christian. I read things in, in church papers. They're written for the intellect, nothing for the heart. And they talk about against people who have, are winning folks to Christ. I want to tell you the coming of the Lord is an incentive to get people saved. Paul said, what is my hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in his presence at his coming? He said, when the Lord comes, you will be my converts to witness at the judgment seat of Christ. The coming of the Lord is a truth that ought to dominate every Christian. Jesus said that night as he walked along, I will come again. He told them in this discourse who he was. Thomas said to him, Lord, show us the Father. We won't see the Father. Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said, Thomas, have you been so long time with me, and yet you've not seen the Father? He said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. He said, I am God. I'm the Son of God. I'm divine. I'm equal with the Father. I'm one with Him. He emphasized the fact that He was the Son of God. And I'll tell you, a lot of people have departed from that. Like a man said to me one time, standing at the Sea of Galilee, he said, well, I'll have to admit, Jesus was a good man. He, he was really a good man. I said, not if He wasn't the Son of God. Not if he wasn't the son of God. He claimed to be the son of God. And if he was not God, he was not good. And I said to him, he was more than a good man and a great teacher. He was the son of God. The only begotten of the father. And I want to say to you tonight, that's a truth that ought to dominate the heart and life of every child of God. The son of God should be Lord of all. In every Christian's life. If he was not who he said he was. Then I'm not what I thought I'd been. For 56 years. A child of God. Some folks say what difference does it make? It makes a lot of difference. If he was not the son of God. I'm not a child of God. And on that way. On the way that night. He said he that has seen me. Has seen the father. I like to read about. The converts in the Bible. And I preached many, many times from about the Ethiopian eunuch. I, I, just, I just like to preach about that. And I, I like to realize he's riding along, reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, about Jesus. The Bible said Philip begins the same scripture, scripture and preached on him, Jesus. They're riding along, and he said, I want to get baptized. A lot of folks say, well, I don't know how in the world to get folks into the church after get them saved, get them baptized. Here's a fellow, nobody even talked to him about baptism. But he, he had been saved and had been shown from the Bible, this one was a son of God. And Philip said, if you believe, you can be baptized. 
He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip said, stop the mule. And we're going to, be, we're going to have a baptismal service right here. All I want to say to you, I hold to this doctrine that Jesus Christ is the perfect, the divine, the Son of God. And it's a dominating truth in the life of Bible-believing people. On that way from the, from the upper room to the garden, he gave them another great truth. He told them he could still hear them in his father's house. He said, I'm going away. But whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the father may be glorified in the son. He said, I'm going to leave you. Oh, how sad they were. Peter said to him, Lord, I'd just rather die and go with you than to be separated. He said, but when I get to the Father's house, I can still hear you when you pray. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. Oh, tonight, the privilege of prayer is a dominating truth from the Word of God and from the lips of Jesus. I believe tonight, not a person in this room, and so there are some of the greatest people that ever walked the face of the earth in this audience tonight. But I don't think there's a person in this room tonight for what needs an answer to prayer. I know this preacher standing in this pulpit does. But I want to tell you, this Bible and the blessed Son of God promises, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. And God is waiting tonight to answer the prayer of some child of God. I remember two years ago, a blessed, sweet experience, but a great challenge in my life. My wife and I were praying about a certain matter, and my, by the way, I'm glad to be at this anniversary tonight. Ms. Malone and I have been married 52 years. We recently were talking about it, and we decided we've been married so long, we're just going to stick it on out from here on out. I'll tell you, it's great to have a prayer partner. And um, we were praying about a certain matter, and we would talk about it. We'd pray about it. We claim Matthew 8, 20, I believe it is, if any two of you should agree on earth touching anything, shall be done of my Father which is in heaven. We said, Jesus said this. And Jesus means this. And we're praying in His name. And we are believing God will answer prayer. We agree that God will answer this prayer. We prayed for some weeks. One day, Monday at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I went through my garage and into the back, to the back door of my home, but my wife opened the door before I could open it, and there she stood with her hands raised and tears flowing down her cheeks. And she said, Tom, today, just before you came, it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just before you came, the answer from God came. And our prayers have been answered. We stood in that little old kitchen. And I, I don't really believe in dancing. But I'll tell you, we did a little bit of it. I want to say to you tonight, God answers prayer. Call upon me, I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. Jesus mentioned another great truth for them. He told them whom he would send unto them. John 14, 16. So I'll pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter, the blessed Holy Spirit. 
and I'm having to knock out a lot of boxcars here and trying to find the caboose and get through. But you know, I'm glad Jesus sent the Holy Ghost. He came into my life when I was saved. Never have to go to an altar and beg God to give me the Holy Spirit. Been my constant companion. Helped me when I pray. My soul winning partner. The only hope of having power is through his fullness. Said I'll send another comforter. Fifth thing he emphasized is our position in the world. Said if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18 through 21. And here's what it says. Because you're not of the world. And I thank God for that. It's the grace of God that's called us out from the world. He said the world will hate you, but it hated me first because you're not of this world. That is the truth that ought to dominate every Christian, every church, every college, Christian college, every organization ought to be dominated by this truth. You're not of this world. Jesus talking about separation, I suppose. When he said, you are not of this world. And this hatred of you is because you're peculiar, not popular. And because you're different, you have been called out from the world. I recently read a simple little story, but wonderful. I read of a judge in the year 1908 who had his own philosophy of life and no thought of God. But one day his wife, went to a meeting where the gospel was preached and the judge's wife was wonderfully saved in the year 1908 in the city of Boston. That judge said to some other friends of his in the, in the law system, judges and lawyers, said, you know, my wife has believed in the Lord and my wife has become a Christian. Said, I'm going to study my wife now. I'm going to study her philosophy of life and how she lives and how she acts. And he said... I'm going to find out if Christianity is real. I'm going to study her. She knew nothing about it. But this fashionable lady continued with the same friends. She went to church and she carried her Bible. But many of her habits and her ways in the world were not changed. And one day the judge confronted his wife. And he said to her, I've studied your philosophy of life. And I find it's not much different from my own. I'm honest. I keep my word. I believe in justice. I believe in doing right. And he said, my philosophy doesn't seem to be all that different from yours. That lady went to another meeting. And when the, when the altar call was given, the Holy Spirit of God smote her in her heart. And down to the altar she went and she said, Lord, I don't want to be a part of this world any longer because my husband's soul is at stake. And after a while, the judge said to his wife, I believe God has changed you. You're no longer of the world. You're more like Jesus than anyone I've ever known. And the judge became a Christian. And I want to tell you, no compromise, no shortcut, no friendship, no association 
will ever be a substitute from this great truth. Ye are not of this world. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, bless the word of God to our hearts. Oh Lord, tonight to be dominated by what Jesus said. Oh God, save us from man-made opinions and philosophies and help us to let our lives be completely controlled by the great truth of the Word of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.